Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Arsenal make the short trip to the Kenny this evening to take on Luton Town. Is this a potential banana skin or is this a game that Arsenal should be winning quite comfortably? We'll get into all of that on the big match preview right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Let's go. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Happy Tuesday. I had to think about what day it was there for a second. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Welcome back along to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Big Match Preview. The games are coming thick and fast. It's December. That's just how it goes. And on this episode, of course, we're going to be focusing on Arsenal's trip to Kenilworth Road this evening otherwise known as the Kenny. We'll be referring to it as the Kenny because that's one of my favourite nicknames for a football ground. I don't know why. It's just got a lovely ring to it. The Kenny. Arsenal are going down to the Kenny. Kenny away. I just I just like it. I just like it. I can't even logically explain why, but yeah, I just do. Um, Big, big game for the Gunners tonight, of course. Uh, an opportunity once again to put pressure on Manchester City and Liverpool who, of course, are in action uh, during this midweek round. Uh, also, Manchester City, uh, they are travelling away, of course, to Aston Villa, a place that we've got to go to at the weekend. Um, it's a difficult place to go. You know, they've been on, on great form so far this season. Um, Liverpool go away to Sheffield United on the same night. And I'm not saying that Liverpool are going to drop points at Sheffield United, but you know, you look at their situation, you look at the fact that Paul Heckingbottom was sacked yesterday. Are they going to come up against a bit of a bounce? Um, you know, you never know. It's the Premier League. Stranger things have happened. So I think I think it's great that we get to play first again, because it means that, yeah, you know, if if you drop points and you don't have a good night, then it feels worse when you're watching on the next day. And maybe some of the teams that you're competing with are actually uh, putting in really good performances and, and getting the points that makes your defeat feel even more painful. But flip it the other way. And we're very much in a situation where we've got a great opportunity to put those um, title rivals under pressure. You know, we win tonight. We go on to 36 points. That would put us five points clear of Liverpool and six points clear of Manchester City. And then it's over to them. It's over to them to go and do the business in their respective games and and close that gap again. You know, there will be times in the season where they'll be playing before us. That's the way it goes. So you've got to take advantage, I think, of when you're playing first. Um, and when you look at this game on paper, a Luton Town side that have struggled in the Premier League so far, generally speaking, a side whose performances have probably been better than what they've got on the board in terms of points. But there's still a side that I think many feel are going to be relegated. And despite the difficult um, situation we'll find ourselves in tonight, undoubtedly because of the fact that there's a cracking atmosphere down at the Kenny. I was there earlier this season. I did uh, commentary on their game against Tottenham Hotspur. Now, Tottenham won the game in the end. 
but it wasn't a walk in the park. You know, they probably should have scored three or four in the first half Spurs. They didn't. And then there was a period at the beginning of the second half where it was all Luton Town and they had Spurs pinned back and they were throwing crosses into the box from the right and from the left. And they were causing them problems with their direct and physical approach. We're going to face all of that tonight. We're going to face a cracking atmosphere under the lights. Um, you know, the facilities at the place are not going to be like what our boys are used to. I wouldn't be surprised if they're getting changed in a porter cabin. Generally, uh, genuinely, I beg your pardon. It is a very, very different place. Going to the Kenny is like going back in a time machine to what football was like in the 70s and 80s. Honestly, yeah, they've added a few uh, new bits and pieces. There's a new gantry, for example, which is something they were forced to do uh, when they earned promotion to the Premier League in order to comply with all the regulations. So the media facilities are okay. Um, but generally, it's a really dated ground. It's in the middle of a residential area. Like you literally walk through the alleyways next to houses to get to it. You know, I'll show you a picture later on. I'll take some pictures later when I go and I'll show you tomorrow. Um, but like, there's literally like a, a corridor that is the width of one person between a house and the entrance to Kenilworth Road. Like it is, it is a real, real throwback. And I'm not saying that that means you lose your ability to play football or that there's any excuses if you don't perform, but it is something very, very different for our players. It really is. It's like going away to a third round of the FA Cup tie to face someone two divisions below you. Now, obviously, Luton Town are in the Premier League on merit, and I'm not taking anything away from them, but I'm just trying to set the scene with regards to what Arsenal are going to face tonight, not just on the pitch, but off of it as well. It's a very, very different experience. You hope that this team have the resilience and the mentality nowadays to be able to deal with that kind of thing, uh, that kind of challenge, as well as the physical um, battle that I'm almost certain we're going to face against Rob Edwards' side. So, you know, it's it's one of those where there is a tiny part of me, there is a tiny bit in the back of my mind saying, well, you know, this might not be the walk in the park that everybody has it down as. And when you are flying high like Arsenal are, and when you come up against a side like Luton, it's as if everybody forgets that, A, they're a Premier League level side, and we know that Premier League level sides are capable of beating any other Premier League level sides on any given day. That's how football works. That's what makes this league so entertaining and one of the best in the world. Um, and it's as if people forget that these footballers are humans and that dealing with different circumstances at times can cause uncertainty, can cause hesitation and can lead to strange things happening, basically. Um, but anyway, look, on this episode, we're going to do uh, a bit of a reaction to Mikel Arteta's press conference. And the good thing is, although we're doing this preview a little bit later than I'd normally like, we do have the second part of the press conference that was embargoed to pick and choose uh, some highlights from. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, what we can expect from Luton Town in terms of their style of play and some of the players that we should be watching out for. We'll also do our statistical preview, albeit there isn't that much to go by because Luton Town have never competed in the Premier League in its current format until this season. Uh, we'll also share with you guys the lineup that I would like to see Mikel Arteta pick, and I'm happy to discuss that with you guys, of course, in the live chat box. So we're going to take a really, really, really brief pause and then we're going to dive into some press conference reaction because Mikel Arteta has been speaking ahead of this one. 
Right, let's take some of the highlights from uh, Mikel Arteta's press conference ahead of the trip to Luton, to the Kenny. I must say Kenny every single time. Mikel Arteta was, of course, full of praise uh, for Rob Edwards. The two of them know each other uh, very, very well. They were on some of the same coaching courses together. Um, and Mikel Arteta highlighted that because of the relatively close distance between them, Rob Edwards spent some time at Watford as well. Um, and of course, Watford train across the road from Arsenal in Arsenal's former facility and all the rest of it. It's um, it's a relationship, the relationship between him and Rob Edwards that's quite strong. They know each other pretty well. Um, and there's a lot of respect and admiration there. He also talked about what a wonderful story this is, the Luton Town story, the fact that, you know, they went into administration the way they did. They were relegated down and they've climbed their way back up the football pyramid and now find themselves in this amazing position of being back in the Premier League and welcoming the likes of Arsenal, uh, of course, to to the Kenny. Um, he hopes that the Tomiyasu problem was just fatigue related, but there was no clear word, I would say, from Mikel Arteta on whether or not the Japanese international is going to be available uh, for Luton Town away this evening. Personally, I wouldn't play him anyway. Um, if there's any risk, any doubt, I wouldn't put him in for this one. I said to you guys earlier in the week and um, at the back end of last week that actually I'd have quite liked to have seen Ben White play against Wolves and Tommy Asu rested for this game because I do think we're going to face a bit of an aerial onslaught at times and we are going to need to be strong and physical and firm and hold our ground. And I think Tommy Asu at left-back would equip us better to do that than Zinchenko. But having said that, we go to Villa at the weekend and I'd rather have uh, Tommy Asu available for that if there is any doubt uh, about his fitness at this moment in time. Mikel Arteta talked about how this trip is a test of character. He talked about uh, the f the side that they're going to face, you know, what they might come up against in terms of commitment and all the rest of it. But he also spoke, uh, I thought, quite well about the fact that, you know, he's warned his players about the facilities and everything else and how that is different. And so they're not arriving down at the Kenny shocked. They're not arriving there thinking, oh, my God, what is this? If you know it's coming, you can prepare yourself and you can get yourself set and sorted. He refused to comment on uh, Pep Guardiola's comments at the weekend. Pep Guardiola, of course, unhappy with the decision made by referee Simon Hooper right at the end of their 3-3 draw with uh, Tottenham Hotspur. And Pep Guardiola, unprompted when asked about the, the issue or the situation, said, I'm not going to do a Mikel Arteta. And uh, Mikel uh, refused to comment on that. He was asked about whether or not he's thinking about the title, if he thinks that Man City are weaker and all the rest of it. He said he's not thinking about winning the league at this stage, which is the correct answer, Mikel. Uh, he also defended Alexander Zinchenko for Saturday's mistakes. Talked a lot about how much more dominant we are when he's in the team and that it's a bit of a trade-off. Um, well, he kind of acknowledged that it is a bit of a trade-off having him in the side. That, you know, on the one hand, yeah, you'll probably be a bit weaker defensively, but it gives you something else. And he said that every formation, every system, every team has what you would look at and think, you know, it's a bit of a weakness. He, he didn't say that per se or word for word or anything. He would never use that word, I don't think, in relation to one of his players. But, you know, that's kind of what he was saying if you read between the lines. He also, uh, in the embargoed bit, um, which came out a little bit later, refused to rule out any potential departures in January, including Aaron Ramsdale. But then he went 
a step further to kind of make it clear that this wasn't a Ramsdale conversation. This was about everybody and anyone. He said, look, I can't rule out that any player is going to leave. I can't rule out that any member of staff's going to leave. I can't rule out that anyone at the club's going to move on and that the structure and stuff might change. He also said that, of course, Arsenal want to be better. And so going into the January transfer window, if they can do something, they will. Um, that plans uh, are in place to make sure that they can maximise the opportunities that that come their way. Uh, but he also said that, you know, we're in December now. As we get further into December, we'll be able to kind of figure out who's coming back when, what fitness situations are looking like with regards to certain players and all the rest of it. He did essentially remain quite tight-lipped on the club's January plans, but I think he gave the fans enough to suggest that maybe Arsenal could be dipping into the market um, rather than it being the uneventful window that I think a lot of people are expecting. And listen, I'm still expecting it to be relatively uneventful. If we add one, I won't be surprised. But if we start adding beyond that, twos and threes, then I'll be surprised. I really would. Um, he also said that to win the league this season, you're probably going to require 96 to 100 points. He Apparently, according to one of the, uh, the journalists in the room, he'd said 100 points. Uh, sorry, he'd said 90 points not so long ago. Uh, so they caught him out a little bit there, <laughs> Mikel Arteta. Um, but yeah, look, again, typical Mikel Arteta press conference. Doesn't give you too much in terms of the team news. Pretty um, as predicted in terms of his answers. Um, and uh, yeah, I always find these press conferences are a little bit... Look, there's something that as a Premier League manager, you are obligated to do. And... That's why Mikel Arteta does them. I've got to the point now where I don't really think that they're that insightful for us as supporters. And I don't think that they're that telling in terms of what we can or can't expect. You know, it's very, very rare that Mikel Arteta lets the guard down and goes off on one. You know, in a post-match, you'll get that from him because he's quite an emotional character. And we saw that, of course, after the Newcastle game. And in that instance, I thought it was it was justified. But the press conferences, they just feel like something that's an obligation and something that we're just never really going to get to um, get that much insight from. I mean, you know, I cover the club, of course, for, you know, a number of outlets and probably more commonly than anybody else, BBC Radio London. And I do have the opportunity to go to these press conferences if I want to. And I'm at a point where I look at the other work I've got going on and what I've got going on in my day. And sometimes I think, is it worth me getting in the car and driving up to London Colney to sit there, not get any team news, not really get any insight because Mikel Arteta doesn't really want to offer that up. Take all these kind of mystical answers and drive all the way back and not really have any content or anything worthwhile to discuss. So that's why I don't go to them. Um, you know, that might change and, and, you know, some would argue that I probably should go to them, but I can follow them from afar. And it's very rare that I look at the transcript or watch the video back of any of his press conferences and think, damn, I should have been there today because he really, really gave us something. But anyway, uh, that's just my thoughts on it. We're going to take a really, really short pause. Uh, and when we return, uh, we're going to start looking ahead uh, to this fixture specifically and look back on some of the history of it as well. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Big Match Preview on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Welcome back to the pod. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Uh, guys, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. There are plenty of you following along live at this moment in time, and I'd love you 
uh, to please leave us a like, leave us a review. If you're listening, uh, of course, on uh, audio, whatever platform it is that you listen from, whether it be Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else, please do get involved. And uh, if you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, what are you doing? If you only listen on audio, you should be subscribed to the YouTube channel because um, we're going to start to bring you um, some more content from January. That's the plan. Um, and some of that will be exclusively on the YouTube channel. Some of that will be exclusively on the podcast feed. So you want to be subscribed to both uh, if you're enjoying the content and you don't want to um, you don't want to miss anything. Uh, let's see what you guys are saying ahead of this one tonight. Wandering Minstrel says I'd settle for a scrappy 1-0 win. Me too. Um, Nav says, my question is, are any of the newly promoted sides this year actually really Premier League level? I think Luton may just scrape staying up, but the other two will go back down with Everton. So I'm not sure that Everton are going to go down, by the way, despite the points deduction. I actually think they'll probably be okay. Um, but it's a valid question. Are any of the newly promoted sides this year actually really Premier League level? Well, you could argue and make the case that they're lower level than some of the clubs that have come up in recent seasons. But I don't really know how you gauge that, right? You look at Burnley, okay? They won the Premier League, uh, the championship, I beg your pardon, last season at an absolute canter. And you look at them now and they're really struggling. Okay, they battered Sheffield United at the weekend. But prior to that, they hadn't shown anything really to suggest uh, that they could, you know, close that gap, that they could, um, you know, be competitive with regards to staying in the division. You can make the case, as I say, that these promoted sides are weaker than promoted sides of years gone by. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, you look at some of the clubs, you look at Burnley, they're, they're a relatively small football club. And that means they don't really have the financial muscle to be able to go as big as some other promoted clubs have over the summers upon which they've been promoted and, and really build out. Um, you know, the same could be said of a club like Bournemouth. You know, I've got huge admiration for in terms of how they've done things over the years, but they're not a very big football club. I know they're not one of the promoted sides, but when they're kind of in that space of, you know, just above the relegation zone, I'm never surprised by that. You know, you look at, um, Sheffield United, they're a big old football club, to be fair to them, but they're not a particularly wealthy one. And although they have that Saudi link and that sort of sprinkle of Saudi ownership, if you like, it isn't as active as, you know, we've seen the Saudis be at other clubs that they have an interest in. So are they Premier League level? Well, they are because they're in the division is what I would say to that. But I take your point that maybe they're not as strong as some of the sides that have been in this division um, and, and been promoted to this division in years gone by. Um, Nav also says uh, Luton might be tough in terms of the atmosphere and low blocks, but I think we will have them. I always say this about the atmosphere at places like this. If you can go there and you can start fast and you can get a goal and you can dominate and you can essentially frighten the living daylights out of the opposition supporters, then the atmosphere does come down a few levels. Atmospheres in England are not relentless like they are abroad. Atmospheres in England are there, but they need a spark. They need something to give them encouragement, right? So you get them at the start of a game because all the fans are full of optimism and all the rest of it. But if you play well and you dominate and you control and you, you know, really sort of put them to the sword, then you can dampen atmospheres like the one that we'll face at Kenilworth Road this evening. Um, lots of you uh, are talking about... Um, 
about the, my comments on the press conference. Uh, James says, journalists just fed up with Arteta's answers. He says, I love how he handles the media. I love it too. I admire it. But it's it's kind of like if you go there all the time and, you, you know, you can sit there and you can think of these brilliant questions and you can come up with insightful questions that you think are going to draw out really insightful and in-depth and detailed answers and then you get nothing. It can be quite frustrating. Um, you're right, Alistair. It's not a long journey. It's not a long journey for me. 30 minutes probably in the car uh, to get there. But yeah, still, <laughs> still. Uh, Joe says, let's not jinx it before the Luton game. Luton are Premier League level. I think I'm going to go along with that uh, line of thinking. OK, let's um, let's uh, let's dive into the rest of our preview. There's a good question that's just coming from the Highbury Ultra, which I've just favorited and I'll come back to a little bit later on in the program. But let's continue and let's uh, move on with our statistical preview of this one, although there isn't that much to go about uh, this time around. Um, if you look at the statistical preview, you will see that I've got no head-to-heads. I've got no previous results. Why? Because as I mentioned earlier, Luton Town have never competed in the Premier League in its current form. However, what is interesting is that Arsenal have won none drawn six and lost four of their last 10 trips to Kenilworth Road in all competitions. Now, this, of course, goes back to um, the uh, Division One days. This goes back to um, some of the cup games that we've played against them over the years. But traditionally, Kenilworth Road is not a happy hunting ground for Arsenal. I'll just repeat that for those of you listening that don't have the benefit of the graphic on the screen. Arsenal have won none drawn six and lost four of their last 10 trips to Kenilworth Road in all competitions. Make of that what you will. Arsenal, of course, sit top of the Premier League at the moment. Luton are down in 17th. The Gunners have won 10 games. Luton have won just a couple. Uh, They've lost nine. Luton Arsenal have lost just the one. On average, the Gunners score 2.07 goals per match. Luton 0.93, so not even a goal per match at this moment in time. Average goals conceded, they concede on average just less than two per game. They haven't kept any clean sheets this season and they create 1.21 clear chances per match according to the Premier League's League's statistics. The biggest win um, for Everton was that 2-1 win away at Everton. So they only have won games by the odd goal so far. It was Everton and Crystal Palace, I think the other one that they won. Um, and of course, they their biggest defeat was that 4-1 defeat at Brighton. So, you know, although, as I say, they, they've struggled and, you know, you look at the fact that they've lost nine of their games so far, they've drawn three and only won two, you would say that they're struggling in this division. They are a side that don't lose by much. You know, with the exception of that Brighton game, they generally are quite competitive. And that's why people have looked at Luton, I think, so far this season and gone, okay, they might go down. In fact, they probably will go down. But if there's one of the promoted sides that I think are closest to to mounting a fight, that have what it takes, that maybe need just an extra 10% rather than an extra 20 or 30% that you think that Burnley probably need and that Sheffield United probably need, you know, Luton Town are the ones that you would look at. And and it's for those reasons. Like Average goals conceded per match, 1.86. Doesn't look great on the surface, but it isn't crazy. Like, I'd be really curious to see what that statistic looks like for Burnley, for Sheffield United. In fact, should we do that? Should we have a quick look? If I go 
over to the Premier League's website. Bear with me just a second on this. And I go to fixtures and I look at the game that Burnley have coming up, which is a trip away to Wolves, okay, which is also tonight. If I look at that and I go into the stat pack on that, um, Burnley on average concede 2.29 goals per match, which is, of course, more uh, than, than what Luton Town do. And if I go to Sheffield United as well, who take on... Liverpool, and I know they've been on the end of some big spankings, 5-0 to us. I think they lost a 9-0 as well, didn't they? Was it Newcastle? Something like that. You look at theirs, average goals conceded per match, 2.79. So that's why people think that Luton are the best equipped of the sides down there fighting and of the promoted sides to at least give survival a crack and a good go. So, yeah, they're not pushovers, despite where they are in the league. And I think that's fair to say. If we take it on to uh, what can we expect from Rob Edwards' side, I think it's quite clear what we're going to be up against tonight. Um, you look at their formation, it is very much a back three with two wing backs that does become a back five when they're out of possession. Now, this is the side, the side I've got on the screen is the side that faced Brentford at the weekend in their 3-1 defeat. It was Kaminsky in goal, Mengi, Lokia and Osho were the back three. Bell and Kabore were the wingbacks with Mpanzu and a Barkley in midfield. Chong Ogbene um, were the two players that provided support to, um, to of course, Carlton Morris, uh, who played up front. So, yeah, I mean, what do we expect? We expect that formation. We expect that system. We expect lots of physicality. We expect a low block. Um, I think they have got players that are capable of providing, you know, moments of magic. You know, Ross Barkley, you know, he's been around the block a few times. I don't think he's the Ross Barkley of four or five years ago, but he's still a side that, uh, still a side, he's not a side, he's a player. Uh, he's still a player that can obviously cause problems. Chong's got that Man United connection and, you know, I think that Mengi is another one that had a Man United connection that is of a probably higher standard of player than some of the others within that group. I saw them live at the Kenny against Spurs um, that day, as I've mentioned. And the, one of the players I was really impressed with was was Chiodozi Ogbene. So I think he's someone that we need to watch out for. Uh, Carlton Morris, of course, is the uh, the man up front. Three goals and two assists in the Premier League, which isn't bad in a struggling side. Um, as I've mentioned on this piece, we're going to expect a lively atmosphere. The facilities are not what our stars are used to. But one other person that I really wanted to highlight, because I think he's been great this season, and I know the statistics don't back this up, but he's, it's Thomas Kaminsky in goal. He's conceded 26 goals, okay, in 14 games, which doesn't on the surface look very good. But he's been excellent. I've seen him pull off some wonderful, wonderful saves. Every time I turn on match of the day, he's, he's pulling off brilliant saves. You know, and it, he's someone that I think is is definitely going to, if Luton do go down, get a move to another Premier League club. He came from Blackburn Rovers to Luton Town. And if I were looking for a goalkeeper and I were sort of a, you know, maybe eighth placed to the bottom sort of team in the Premier League. He's someone that I would look at. I, I really would. I've been really, really impressed with him. He's probably going to have the game of his life tonight and frustrate the shit out of me, but um, he's a player that I think is a lot better than what the statistics show, just based on the eye test, which is still a thing, you know. Um, right, we're going to take a, a really short pause, and when we come back, uh, we're going to have a look at what 
the starting lineup is that I would pick to take on Luton Town at the Kenny tonight. Be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Big Match Preview here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Okay, this is my starting 11 to face Luton Town this evening. David Raya would be the goalkeeper. Arsenal's number one now, very clearly. Um, my back four would be made up of Ben White, who's been feeling his way back to fitness. William Saliba and Gabriel at the heart of the defence with Zinchenko at left back. And that's because I am concerned about the fitness of Takahiro Tomiyasu. We don't know if he's going to be available, Tomiyasu, full stop. If he's not, though, you go with Zinchenko. And it is a game that I think Arsenal will have a lot of the ball, a game that I think Arsenal will dominate in. Yes, I think they're going to face some threat from wide areas. Um, but a bit like what Mikel Arteta was saying in the press conference, I'm happy to make that trade-off, I think, in this match. Um, my midfield trio would be slightly different to the one we saw at the weekend. It would involve Declan Rice sitting at the base with Martin Odegaard, who looked back to his brilliant best. And Kai Havertz, I think we could do with that extra little bit of physicality. I think he was unlucky not to start the game at the weekend, given the form that he's been in. Um, but I think that was with a view to him playing at Kenilworth Road because of his physical nature and the other things that he can bring to the table that maybe Leandro Trossard couldn't in midfield. As I said to you guys after the Wolves game, I'm not sure about Trossard playing as the left eight. I think going forward, he's great, but I just don't know if he's got the the build and the size and the frame to be able to give us what we need in the midfield against tougher opposition. Leandro Trossard does make my starting 11, though. However, he plays on the left wing because I think Gabriel Martinelli could probably do with a bit of a rest. And I'd rather have him fit and fresh for the trip to Villa, where it is going to be, I think, a game of high lines. There is going to be spacing behind. And I think that's the kind of game that Martinelli thrives in. I think this is going to be a different task. I think this is going to be one where we're facing a low block and we're going to need a bit more guile, maybe a little bit more um, vision. And I think Leandro Trossard trumps Martinelli in the vision and maybe game intelligence categories. Uh, that might sound harsh on Martinelli, but I think he's, his biggest sort of threat is his directness and the fact that he's able to just get his head down and go at people and all the rest of it. Saka would play uh, on the right-hand side for me. And although I've gone with Gabby Jesus up front because I think he's the best option and I want him to play, certainly from the start, and he did come off, um, of course, at the weekend, I wouldn't be surprised here if Mikel Arteta went with Eddie Nketiah. Now, we've been having a big debate on Eddie Nketiah in the comments section of our last episode where um, quite a few of you got a little bit annoyed or, or, or had your noses put out of joint when I said that Arsenal should be looking to secure around about £40 million for Eddie Nketiah. There were people saying, Oh, um, as if we'll ever get that for him. Who the hell's going to pay that for him? Blah, blah, blah. And I highlighted a few clubs yesterday that I thought actually might look at someone like Eddie Nketiah and think he's worth taking a punt on. And I was sort of walking this morning to take my son to school and I was reading through some of the comments and I thought, here we go. You know, people having a go at me, people telling me this, people telling me that. Dominic Solanke is a good example of a striker who had less on his CV than Eddie Nketiah, but a club was willing to pay decent money for. Now, from what I remember off the top of my head, I think Bournemouth paid about 20 to 25 million, what, four or five years ago, which, you know, nowadays is probably about 30, 35 million, maybe slightly more. He's an example of a player that didn't have the greatest track record, yet showed a bit of potential at certain moments and was able to earn 
uh, a big move as a result of that. And that's worked out quite well for Bournemouth, generally speaking. I mean, Dominic Solanke this season has got seven Premier League goals in 14 Premier League appearances. You know, you look at clubs like West Ham who have traditionally spent big money on forward players that maybe weren't proven at Premier League level, maybe were proven elsewhere, but then it didn't really work. Yet they've still showed a willingness to continue to invest that type of money on goal scorers because goal scorers are the most valuable commodity in football. So I think that you do get that kind of money for Eddie and Ketia as long as you keep him in the picture. And he is in the picture at this moment in time. He does come in and out the side. He does play uh, when Jesus is absent and he does come off the bench fairly regularly. So I don't think that was wild. And I think actually some of the comments that I read, like everyone's entitled to their opinion, but I just think they're, they're disrespectful to Eddie and Ketia in the sense of, We've seen players that have proven less in this division go for that type of money. So why wouldn't we be able um, to get that money for him? When you're a competitive side, when you're a strong side like we are, all of a sudden your players are seen as valuable in the outside. You know, people will look at our players and go, oh, yeah, you know, what? I'll have a, I'll have a bit of that. You know, he might be on the peripheries at Arsenal, but Arsenal are the very best. So it, it'll be perfect for us. It, it's fitting brilliantly. That's what happens. We were in a position for many years where we were rubbish and our players were rubbish and our squad players were even worse than that. And therefore they weren't worth anything. Plus they were on stupid contracts. When you are the pick of the bunch, people will want to come in and take your fringe players. That's how it works because they will feel like those players with that experience, with that know-how um, and having trained with those players every day and with that level, they would be able to you know, enhance your side and bring something to the table. So that's the team I'd go with. Raya in goal, White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko across the back. Rice, Havertz and Odegaard in midfield. Saka, Trossard and Gabi Jesus up front. That's my Arsenal team to face um, Luton Town this evening at the Kenny. Right, time to take some of your listener questions. Uh, get them into the live chat and I'll pick out a few of those uh, before I disappear. Um, need to go and get a, a nice haircut, I think, before I go down to the Kenny. That's how much of a big occasion it is. No, I'm kidding. I just badly need one. Look at my beard. Good state of it. Um, right, Hybrid Ultra says, do you believe that we're more tactically versatile this season? I've watched us go long, play short, hit teams on the counter, show variations in the build-up, and our defensive structure is phenomenal. 100%. I 100% um, think that we're more tactically versatile this season than we were in previous years. Um, I think it's part of the evolution of this team, part of the development of this team, and it's why... I'm not sitting here saying that we're going to win the league or anything, but I'm confident that we can mount a challenge again because I think we've learned lessons from what happened last season. And I'm not just talking about the players. I'm talking about the coach. I'm talking about the staff. I'm talking about everybody involved. Um, I think we're in a better place now. And uh, that's certainly part of the reason why. So it's a great observation from the Highbury Ultra. Um, and, and I completely, completely agree with it. Um, let's take a, a couple more. Uh, Alistair, just on the team selection, says he'd be tempted to rest Saliba or Gabriel and play Kivior in a game. I wouldn't be dead against that, but I just think, you know, the, the heart of your defence is a part of the pitch that you don't really want to mess around with, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, um, you know, if, if Mikel Arteta was to do that, if I was to turn up there tonight, get the team sheet and see that one of those guys has been left out, rested, whatever, I wouldn't be wouldn't be surprised at all. 
Uh, MM agrees with the idea of rotation, says that Arteta must rotate our players because it's a tough schedule um, upcoming. It, it certainly is. You know, it is. And, and this is what happens at this time of year in the Premier League. And you've got to be able to live with it and cope with it. And we read a piece yesterday from Sammy Mockbell, didn't we, in which he spoke about how Mikel Arteta has actively sort of taken a different approach to training. He's sort of looking at how he can manage the workloads of, of certain players and, and individuals um, in training so that we can protect ourselves against the burnout that I think we all saw creep in at the back end of last season. So, you know, it, it could be done by rotating, managing people's game time. But the other way in which you can help that and impact that and influence that is by ensuring that you are um, you are managing the workload of certain players in training. Look, if you play the game on Saturday and you play a game on Tuesday, in terms of match fitness, you're not going to, in terms of your fitness, as long as you're training and keeping it up, you're not going to lose fitness between Saturday and Tuesday. So it's about managing that period of time. There's no point in getting everybody going 100 miles an hour in training after Saturday's game on Sunday, for example, or on Monday to then play again on Tuesday. When you've got these quick turnarounds, which we're going to have plenty of now in the coming weeks, you've got to manage the training schedule as well. And I think Arteta maybe didn't do that well enough last season and has maybe um, you know, taken that on board. Perhaps that's one of the learnings uh, that he's uh, he's taken on. And I think we're we're better equipped this season as a result of that. I've always said that when people were sitting here saying Arsenal haven't clicked yet and all the rest of it, actually the fact that we've got more space to improve, it encourages me rather than concerns me. And I, and I still feel like that some uh, some few weeks later on. Right, guys, we're going to leave it there. Thank you all so, so much for your interaction in the live chat. It is very, very much appreciated. Uh, we'll be back probably tomorrow morning uh, with a review of the Luton Town game. Um, yeah, it, it's hopefully going to be a good one. Hopefully going to be a good night at the Kenny for the Gunners. Um, I'm expecting a cracking atmosphere. I'm looking forward to going down to this old school ground. I really enjoyed it when I was there earlier in, in the season, apart from the fact that Spurs won. Um, but yeah, it's an experience. I'll, I'll try and capture some of that experience to share with you guys, of course, uh, on the podcast on Wednesday morning. Take care of yourselves, like, subscribe, all the rest of it, and I'll see you all soon. Until next time, goodbye.